0: I'm Peter Coward, and you are listening to the Science Lives Podcast. My guest today is Madison Rice, medical illustrator at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. Madison was a life science major in college, earning a B.S. in microbiology from Mississippi State University. Building on her longtime interest in art, in her junior year, she also began taking classes to satisfy a minor in visual art. She then completed a two-year master's program in biomedical visualization at the University of Illinois, Chicago, before beginning her current job as a medical illustrator. Madison, welcome to the Science Lives podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today.
1: Thank you, Peter. I'm excited to be here.
0: As I mentioned in the intro, you're a medical illustrator at St. Jude. Can you begin by telling us about your job?
1: Sure. So my official title is Scientific Visualization Engineer and Medical Illustrator. A bit long, but I work in the Department of Chemical Biology and Therapeutics, which is one of many branches of research that St. Jude has. So for them, I create a multitude of visual projects, usually centering around drug discovery and small molecule research. This includes anything from 2D illustrations and figures for journals and publications, journal covers, graphic design, and 2D and 3D animation of various chemical mechanisms. So I'm essentially a resource for collaboration with these researchers to help them visually translate what they are discovering in their labs.
0: Are your clients typically a lab PI or a student or a trainee in a lab, or do you work for departments, or how does that that actually work?
1: I work with Everyone in the in the department. So I I work with students, postdocs, senior researchers, PIs. I even work with the chair of the department. So whoever needs something or whoever needs help with something visual, they can come to me and I can uh, help collaborate with them.
0: And, and what what's a day to day typical day look like for you?
1: So typically I do various different things during the day. So I try not to do all one project during the day so that I can kind of reach different people's needs. So typically I'm doing a little bit of graphic design for the department. I'll spend a little bit of time working on some figures for whoever has come to me that week that needs help with something for their paper. I usually am working on a lot more long-term project like an animation, so I'll work a little bit on that. And then in between, I just, you know, if I'm in the office, I walk around and I talk to people and kind of get a better idea of what their research is and that's kind of how some projects start too. So they collaborate with me and they kind of tell me what's going on and projects sort of spark out of that as well.
0: Oh, so so things aren't always um, someone coming to you and like, this is what they need. It, it It's kind of organic, I guess, in a way, right? Where you're you're talking to somebody and it just kind of an idea comes up that, oh, that would be kind of cool to be able to kind of visualize that somehow and, and communicate yeah. that way.
1: Yeah. Organic is a great word for it. I think, the majority of the projects I, that I really enjoy are the ones that come out of uh, really intense science conversations where people are coming to me and they're saying, oh my gosh, like I have this really cool mechanism or I've discovered this new thing and I really want to show it better. And so we spend a lot of time figuring out some really creative ways to show their science um, in a beautiful way.
0: And what, what do you like about your work?
1: I like its ability to. Be kind of flexible. Since I work in an academia perspective, I get to deal with a lot of different types of science. So, I'm, you know, I'm working with some chemistry, I'm working with some biology, I work with some oncology, biochemistry. It's not the same every day. And I like being able to combine different perspectives of these different types of sciences together and see where they cross over. And I think it makes my work a lot more successful.
0: And then in addition to um obviously you've got really sophisticated art skills, but what other types of characteristics um does somebody need to be kind of successful uh, in your role?
1: I think specifically in a medical illustration for an academia role, I think uh some focus because there's always new things going on. <laughs> there's there's always a new project that somebody's coming up with since there are so many different departments and it's research-based. And so new things come up all the time. And so the need and the want to be able to try new things and deviate from what you've been doing is very tempting. So I, I, it requires a lot of focus for me to continue doing projects all and see them all the way through and not take tangents off and want to do new projects off of them as well.
0: You have a master's in biomedical visualization. Would you need that degree in order to get a job like the one that you have?
1: I think it would be beneficial, especially um, at a higher education institution, which St. Jude is. But there are plenty of medical illustrators out there who didn't necessarily go to the accredited programs and have built their repertoire based on working with different clients and a lot of freelance jobs. But no, you don't technically need the degree to do this work, but it is highly recommended.
0: Okay, and you did a lot of art growing up, is that right? Yes. But you still when you got to college you you majored in in biology.
1: Yes. So that's how did true. how did how
0: did that come about?
1: So, whenever I graduated from high school, I think I always had an inclination towards biology. I was always sort kind of interested in you know, the creepy crawlies and the stuff that I couldn't see, you know, something in a microscope, it kind of interested me. So that's sort of the direction that I took when I went to college. And then I think about halfway through that, I said, uh, you know, this isn't enough. I need a little bit more. So that's kind of how I got into the art side.
0: Okay. And what, what was that, that prompted you to start taking the art classes? Did you have an idea that that was going to be impactful for your career? Or was it just something that you were interested in or
1: so I think that the more I was doing science, it was it had gotten to a point where it there was no creative outlet for me and I had always had that creative outlet and so I started thinking, well, you know, I I'm going to this really fantastic school and they have a really great art program. I might as well take some of these classes that, you know, I'm I already have a talent in. So I kind of had a predisposition to do it in that respect. But, you know, I, I was a decent student, so I had a lot of extra time. So I took some of these basic art courses like drawing and design, and that's kind of how I started get, getting the ball rolling where I was thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I really enjoy this. I wonder if there's something more for me.
0: we were also exploring internships and stuff like that on the, on the science side at the same time.
1: I was. So over different summers, I had taken you know, various different jobs. I'd also worked at the university doing different science-related jobs. So one I had was in a lab. I worked for a company in Dallas, and they worked specifically with pathology. So I did that for a whole summer, and there was another summer that I worked for a soil testing lab. I did another one where I actually tested fish samples for the state of Mississippi for quality testing, but it was science related. But I never really fully enjoyed them. There was always something kind of missing. I really enjoyed the challenge and the exploration that they brought, but I always wanted to sort of spin off and do new things or go different directions. But those, those specific positions didn't really offer that to me. I
0: think you had told me earlier that you had Started off um, not you've, you. You got your degree in microbiology, but you started off as just kind of a general biological sciences major, and, and changed that focus as well uh, early on. Can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah, so I was always kind of interested in disease and microbes and bacteria. I noticed that when I took my first microbiology class, you know, because we had been taking like vertebrate biology and plant biology and then we started doing stuff, you know, with microorganisms and pathology and disease. And for some reason, I really latched on to that. It was, I guess it's the idea that there can be things so small and tiny that, you know, when you look at them through a microscope, it's a whole new world. It's, you know, an entirely different ecosystem. And so that kind of brought a little bit more creativity to the science than I think looking at things like from a gross perspective. But yeah, that's sort of how I got into the microbiology side of um the sciences.
0: Some people I think go into, you know, their undergraduate studies having really a clear idea of where where they think they want to go. And then sometimes that changes a little bit, and it sounds like for you that that was the case where you switched your undergraduate major and then you started taking these art classes and stuff. What was that like for you to um to to make these changes? Was that a big deal or was it pretty were you pretty easygoing about that or how did that feel
1: It was a bit daunting I think at first because I was spending time <laughs> taking these art classes when I at the time sort of thought that they were not going to lead me anywhere I had always had this predisposition for the arts thinking this is not something that would be l- lucrative down the line it's not something that I could make a career and so I'd, at first, I had always felt like it was kind of just like a hobby that I was pursuing just a little bit at school. But then as time went on and I wasn't super fulfilled by just being in the lab and I was I had all of this creativity that I was letting out in these art classes. Then that's kind of when I started to realize that maybe I could combine these together
0: and how did you find out about medical illustration specifically?
1: So I had no idea what it was until about my junior year of college. So I, in my brain, they, these two things were very dichotomous. You know, there were two different extremes. I had friends in the sciences and I had friends in the arts and they were nothing like each other. And it wasn't until I started to find people at the intersection of both of them did I understand what it was all about. So. You know, at first I was seeing that there was all this beauty in the human body and microorganisms and these patterns in nature. And when I took these classes, both science and art classes, and I met these people, I was challenged to look a bit further than just the surface. And that's when I started to view the art in modern science. And then at that point, did I put a face to the name and, you know, I finally found medical illustration. You know, I had heard the phrase, I'd heard the name from a few people, professors, doctors and things. So that's kind of how it came about.
0: Did that really resonate with you right away?
1: I think it did. Well, I think the first time I heard it, it it didn't really register in my brain what it was because I think most people when they hear it, they're still kind of like, I feel like I know what that means, but then you would either need to get it explained or look it up to really fully understand what it was about. But once I got the full picture, you know, looked it up, talked to some people who were in the field, did I really resonate with it and actually think I I might be able to do this?
0: How how did you um, go about finding people who were in the field to talk to?
1: So uh, I think the first person that I met was actually a graduate from my school, and she's I think to this day the only other medical illustrator to come out of Mississippi State University. And I had heard about her from a professor who just happened to give me her email because they were really close. And so I emailed her and I said, hey, I'm interested in this stuff. Like, what do you know about it? And, you know, she's emailing me back like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe there's another person at the school who, like, wanted to do the same thing I did. It was really hard for me to figure out where I was supposed to go. So she kind of led me in the right direction. And then after that, I found the schools. And then I started talking to people who had graduated from them.
0: Yeah. And so what? what is the situation with the schools?
1: So there are four accredited universities in North America that support, I think it's the CAAHEP accreditation for the medical illustration degree. One of them is Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. Then there's um, the University of Toronto, Augusta University, and then the one I went to was the University of Illinois at Chicago. So there's a few other universities that have medical illustration master's degrees, but they don't have the accreditation, Um, but there's plenty of people that still go to them. And then there's also some in Europe.
0: What types of requirements do you need to, to get into these schools? Like how 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 solid do your your art chops need to be, basically?
1: So a solid art background is a must. So the individuals who apply are usually they're either art students who've taken some science courses or science students who've who've taken some art classes. But they all have basic skills in the arts, like rendering light and shadow, shading objects, understanding. Other basic principles like tone and line and color theory. These are the kinds of things they're looking for. So, a lot of what we do now in this field is digital, which is great, but these are things that they aren't necessarily looking for students to have heavy skills in when they first come because you're going to learn them when you come to the school. So, the types of modeling and animation that you might learn at a four-year university is going to be probably different than the kind of skills you might learn at a for med art. So, how Hollywood approaches design and animation might be a little different than we do, but the principles are similar, but the techniques might be different. So they know when you get to the school that there's going to be some things that they teach you, there's going to be practices that are pretty standard for medical illustrators and they want you to know how they're done.
0: How big are the class sizes in, uh, you know, like the, the entering class, not the individual classes?
1: So it's really small. Each class is about 20 students. And that's just UIC. I think Toronto has 15 and Augusta and Johns Hopkins have less than 10. So it's, they're very, very small classes. And when you get to be that niche of a field, you typically find very similar people working together. So it was honestly mind-blowing when I first got there because I finally found this group of people who had been struggling their whole life to find exactly where they were. (laughs) So, you know, they all kind of had the same mindset. Everybody has a different story on how they got there, but we all think very similarly.
0: So you had told me earlier that you're, that you're a swimmer and that, uh, when you were going to college, that you are applying to college, that you were considering going to a small school with more opportunity to swim, but you ended up, uh, opting for a, a much larger school. Can you tell me about that and what that decision was like?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was a very difficult decision. I remember visiting so many small D2 and D3 schools all over the country, but as the uh, You know, as the end approached, they had big price tags and I wasn't fast enough to get scholarship on these teams. And that was a huge blow to me at first, you know, as probably a lot of high schoolers to find out a sport that you've been doing your entire life may not continue competitively just because you're not good enough compared to a lot of other people. But when I look back on it, it was honestly one of the best things to happen to me because I ended up kind of getting out of my comfort zone, going to, you know, a really big state school, which was definitely cheaper, but it also provided me a lot, a lot of opportunities to excel in these things that I felt like I was giving up, you know, and I really wasn't giving up anything either. I still swam. I still was active. I started a swim team. I sort of made my way doing something That I felt like I lost. So in the end, I won. (laughs) And so,
0: what what was it like going to a really big school? Was that was that difficult or?
1: Yes, despite the fact that I grew up going to a large middle school, high school, I was deathly afraid to leave for college. (laughs) I remember not wanting to go up until, like, literally the day I had to leave. But once I got there, you know, I had this very intense change in perspective. And I think that came first from realizing that if I didn't make any friends, I probably wouldn't survive all this far away from home. So, <laughs> um, but second, that talking to people came naturally to me and I never really noticed it before. So I started craving getting out and meeting new people. And once you meet one person, then you meet another. and another and it's a domino effect. And so that sort of mechanism bled into my sports and studying and socializing in clubs. And so the people I met doing these things and the things that I got to do with them changed my life and it still guides me today. So I really don't regret the decision I made to go to a big school, even if it was probably one of the scariest things I've ever done.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like you discovered that you're kind of an extrovert, which I guess came as a bit of a surprise.
1: It did. It shouldn't have because my my dad is an extremely extroverted person, but my mom is not as much of one. She's more of a creative and um a bookworm. So I think I when I when I was growing up I connected with that a little bit more and then when I got to college I sort of saw these two different sides of me.
0: So let's uh skip ahead a couple years. Uh you've uh graduated from the master's program and now you're looking for a job. How did you find your current position?
1: So the job at St. Jude came through word of mouth from another graduate that came from my program and he works in a different department at St. Jude. He works in structural biology. And so he kind of paved the way at St. Jude for people from our career cuz I don't think they had anyone really prior to him getting hired that was anywhere near what we do and so you know they started becoming more familiar with people who were in the medical arts and who understood illustration and design and started to think wow we could really benefit from that so he kind of paved the way and so they started there there were more positions opening up for things like that and so long way down the line i You know, I think two years after he got his job, they opened up another one. And so I applied for it. But in the meantime, I was calling everywhere to try to find a position.
0: (laughs) And tell me about that. What was that like?
1: So whenever I graduated, I really wanted to do like specific things. Like I knew that I wanted to work doing molecular visualization. I was interested in doing animation. And so I started cold calling people. <laughs> I found higher education institutions and animation companies and all over the place. And I found phone numbers. I would go onto the internet, look up people's names, and I'd just call them, leave voicemails <laughs> saying, you know, hey, my name's Madison, and this is what I do. I think that you could really benefit from it. Please call me back. And so I did that every day for about a month or two months. And I think people were interested, you know, but it's hard to create a full-time position from just cold calling people. So I think in the end, this position at St. Jude sort of fell on my lap and it was honestly luck and good timing. And I think it turned out really well.
0: Yeah. And so if you were interested in like kind of freelancing, then, then your cold calling approach is maybe... Uh, tedious (laughs) as it was, or (laughs) um, actually might have been successful, it sounds like.
1: I think it really is, because a lot of people don't know that medical illustrators exist. Like That's sad to say, but when you cold call somebody, they say, oh my gosh, there's someone who can actually do that. Like Either I've been doing that myself all this time, and I have no education doing it, or I could save so much time having someone else do it with a professional degree. So I think it's a win-win because it gets the name out there and you get to talk to more people. And even if you cold call someone and they say, I don't have anything for you right now, doesn't mean they won't call you later when they actually do have something.
0: Yeah. And what's it, you know, how do you find the kind of the energy and the stamina to kind of keep at something like that for so long?
1: I think part of it is understanding your worth and that the education that you've worked so hard to get is worth something and when you constantly call people it can be pretty tiring over time especially when you're not getting a whole lot of success but there's always going to be something or someone who comes along and says that's worth my time and when they do that it builds your repertoire and you get more stuff under your belt and in your portfolio and it feels really good so you know just realizing that The more time you spend doing something, the easier it gets. So just because it's not always successful doesn't mean you shouldn't do it.
0: Yeah. It sounds like just having that really um, deep belief in yourself and your skills and your talent and what you have to offer, I guess.
1: Yeah. I think that's very important, especially in any art-related field, because there are so many other people out there who do similar things to you, but it's still art, so it's unique to you and imposter syndrome is real. <laughs> you can get to a place like I especially had it when I came to St. Jude, because I'm working with all these fantastic, fantastic researchers who all seem way smarter than me. But, you know, we all have our unique talents and we have to realize kind of where our niche is and where we, where we fall on that spectrum.
0: So in your current role, you're working at, at a research hospital, but uh, what else could you be doing with your degree?
1: So there are a lot of different avenues that you can take with, a medical illustration degree, and there's just a thousand different things that people are doing, like you there's illustration that's molecular and anatomical and surgical. There are people out there who do medical legal you know and for court cases and things that are law based there's animation two d and three d animation, augmented reality, virtual reality, and these can be used in all sorts of different spaces like apps. Or surgical training for medical students. There's patient education realms. There's even anaplastology, which is like prosthetics that we can create for the human body when there's different abnormalities that someone might have. So there's just a bunch of different things that you can do. And it's like literally any type of science you can think of, it has to be visualized in some way. And so there are probably avenues for it within this field.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if you could go back in time, what would you tell your younger self?
1: I would probably tell myself to explore new avenues and hobbies and talk to more people. Um, even if it is sort of nerve wracking and scary, (laughs) I think there were a lot of things that I didn't do between the ages of 16 and 22, because I was nervous to try them. I was nervous that people would judge me. I was nervous that it wouldn't be successful. I I was nervous that I wouldn't make money. I was nervous that people would dislike me. And I think, you know, in this short time that I've had as a professional artist at this point, none of that's really true because you're kind of in charge of what people think of you and you can change minds you know (laughs) you can be who you want and you shouldn't be scared to try to form who you are
0: you know it's really interesting to hear you um to answer that question that way because i i see you have as having done all all that stuff actually you know (laughs) that you did really push yourself and you got out there and you you kind of discovered this extra extrovertness that uh if that's a word um you know when you were uh, at mississippi state and and just the story you just told a couple minutes ago about cold calling people and putting yourself out there it's kind of interesting that you would still give yourself that advice if if you uh, saw yourself again you know 10 years ago or something
1: yeah i mean i think i still struggle with it all the time you know someone may come along and look at me and she's, they're like oh wow she's really successful or she's very confident in herself but it's something that i think about every day and i have to work on every day and maybe that's why I feel like I'm pretty comfortable with my skin now, but I feel like the fact that I can say that that's what I would say to my younger (laughs) self is, I guess, I don't know, but yeah, I think it turned out really well.
0: Yeah. Madison, I want to thank you very much for being on the show today. I really appreciate your taking the time and sharing your thoughts and your insights and your experience. Uh, Really appreciate it. Thanks.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.